Julia Sanchez-Lambert is a freelance trainer, facilitator and consultant. Juliet is passionate about equality and has expertise on gender equality, women's rights, LGBT rights and human rights at large. Juliet is currently working on harassment prevention training and consultancy where she is supporting organisations in designing or revising their harassment prevention mechanisms and training staff to identify harassments in its early stages in order to create an inclusive workplace culture. Listen to Juliet's story. My name is Juliet Sanchez-Lambert. I'm a freelance trainer, facilitator and consultant. I'm passionate about equality and I have expertise on gender equality, women's rights, LGBTQI rights and human rights at large. And I'm based in Brussels in Belgium. Right now I focus on harassment prevention trainings and consultancy which means that I support organizations in designing or revising their harassment prevention mechanisms. And I also train their staff uh, to identify harassment in its early stages in order to uh, create a more inclusive uh, workplace culture. So my story starts as a kid uh, when I had a very strong sense of injustice when I was looking at the world around me. And that really pushed me when I grew up to study law and international human rights law. And later on, I decided to take gender studies because I wanted to have a concrete gender perspective uh, in the field of human rights law, which I thought was lacking. And when I did gender studies at a UK university, I was really shocked to see how prevalent sexual harassment on campus was. And when I talked with my master colleagues, I realized that it was not just my impression, but we really shared that experience. So we decided to run a survey and we found out that many students actually faced harassment, but they didn't identify it as such. So they called it unpleasant experiences or things that are not cool, uh, but not necessarily sexual harassment. So we decided to create a network to raise awareness on harassment. We talked about it on campus, to the media, and we also organized workshops for students to identify and act act against harassment. And I would say that's where my journey against harassment started. So in the following years, I moved to Brussels and then I continued organizing workshops on street harassment and also sexual harassment in the workplace. And that's in that work that I met Sarah Hassan, who was the co-founder of a Brussels-based feminist collective called Period. And together, when talking about um, things that we have observed on harassment, we realized that all the women around us either had a story of harassment concerning themselves or someone that they knew. So we thought we really needed to do something about this. And that's why we wrote and published a guide called It's Not That Grey, which gives really concrete tools on how to identify harassment um, in everyday life. And that guide, we made it available for free, so you can download it on the Period Brussels website. And so the way we proceeded is that we analyzed hundreds of stories, and then we found out that sexual harassment doesn't start when it's publicly visible. It's actually on a spectrum. It builds over time. And often it starts with behaviors that taken individually don't seem harmless, but it's actually when they're part of an ensemble 
that they constitute harassment. So, for example, things like showering someone with compliments, putting them on the pedestal, favoring them over someone else. These create the conditions for more problematic behaviors to arise, such as playing hot and cold, blurring the lines between professional and private, going up to unwanted sexual comments, proposals, behaviors, and touching. Of course, I want to stress that unwanted sexual behaviors can happen out of the blue and without any warning signs, but it's not the majority, especially when we talk about sexual harassment in the workplace. What we found out in this research is that more often than not, sexual harassment is actually made possible by psychological harassment. So, you're probably wondering how it relates to diversity and inclusion. Um, and I would say that something that I found out through my work in the human rights field is that often organizations believe that if they work for the greater good, for example, for human rights, then there cannot be any harassment or problematic behaviors within their organization. And I think that Me Too, the Me Too movement has helped to uncover stories of harassment in all spheres of life and in all types of organizations. So more and more organizations are starting to realize that they need to work on that. And especially they need to look at power relations that are at play. Um, we're not talking just about the typical image of employer-employee harassment case, but actually there's much more relations such as interpersonal but also related to how society perceives different groups of individuals. So for example racism, sexism, LGBTQI phobia, elbleism, all of these creates unconscious biases in all of us and they need to be deconstructed if we want to create more inclusive workplaces. And the same goes with diversity and inclusion policies. I think Often we think, how could you have harassment if your organization is working so hard on diversity and inclusion? And when any given organization in introduces diversity and inclusion policies, but they do not address power relations that are at play in the organization, they actually run the risk of making harassment invisible. And I want to give a concrete example of a study that was conducted by a scholar called Sarah Ahmed. So she found out that uh, in a research that she did in UK universities, and especially in those that had the strongest diversity and inclusion policies, that harassment and bullying against diverse workforce, such as people of color, LGBTQI people, people with disabilities, was actually very widespread. And the cases were often mishandled or even thrown under the carpet because harassment complaints were seen as a threat to their image of a diverse and inclusive workplace. This is the thing, when you bring diversity inclusion policies to your organization, you bring diverse people, but it doesn't address the long-standing power relations that may benefit some people and disadvantage others. So it's really important at this stage to actually bring expertise and understanding of power relations, deconstruct um, unconscious biases, organizations and companies, universities, communities need to see that this is a huge loss for them if they don't do that work. And so from my perspective, I really look forward to the day where organizations will take pride in addressing their own biases, in admitting that they had shortcomings and 
I really look forward to that moment where organizations will dare to say, yes, there is harassment within our walls. There is inappropriate behaviors that lead people to feel unsafe. And we are actually working to address it so it doesn't happen anymore because we want people to feel safe to work with us. Thank you for listening to another episode of A Different Me. If you have a story that you would like to share, please contact communications at yourstarhuddle.com. Head over to our Huddle site to listen to more inspiring stories. 